Welcome to the Table Stakes Podcast, presented by Xenial, where we discuss the business and technology issues affecting enterprise restaurant brands. I'm your host, Andy Grindstaff, restaurant enthusiast, technology optimist, and one of the product leads here at Xenial. Today, we're discussing the topic that's top of mind for leaders across restaurant brands, and that's how to operate going forward with the challenges brought on by the COVID-19 crisis. I'm joined by Chris Siefkin, head of technology at Xenial, and Brian Bothman, uh, VP of product at Xenial. We'll be discussing best practices that we've seen across the industry from new operations flows, social distancing protocols, delivery methods of all kinds, and new forms of payments. So with that, I'd like to introduce uh, our guests today. Chris, do you want to go first and introduce yourself? Hey, yeah, I'm Chris Siefkin, and um, I lead technology here at Xenial, and I came from uh, an acquisition that uh, was formerly known as Beanstalk, and I was the CTO with that organization and joined uh, Heartland uh, back before it was sold to Global and then on into Global Payments. And so we've done some acquisitions, we've been part of some acquisitions, and um, excited to be here and excited to be a part of uh, the enterprise restaurant community for sure. Awesome. Brian, you want to go? Absolutely. My name is Brian Boffman, and uh, I'm a lifelong technologist, uh, starting with Microsoft back in the 90s, uh, which dates me a little bit, I know. Um, I've been uh, circling around restaurant and hospitality for about a decade now, um, starting originally with with enterprise retail uh, on the Microsoft Dynamics 365 for retail stack. Uh, and like Chris, I came in through into this family through acquisition from Dinerware uh, into the Heartland Commerce side. Uh, and have been working on the Xenial platform for the last four or five years now, off and on. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, guys. So over the last couple months here, it's been pretty rough going in the in the restaurant industry with the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, it's been, you know, there's been a lot of a job loss, uh, a lot of hardships, um, especially as, you know, restaurants have had to shut down um, and brands have really scrambled to try to keep, uh, you know, keep things going through things like, you know, takeout or, or delivery. Um, and so we've seen uh, really a increasing reliance on technology solutions to facilitate their operations more so than ever. So uh, can you guys share how you've seen brands accelerate that adoption? Are there any things that, that, that brands you've seen uh, do in order to keep their restaurants going in, in interesting ways? You know, as we're looking through this, I think we can break this into at least two different buckets. Um, you know, there was a, a group of brands we had been working with and, and other technologists had been working with that had already adopted some technologies that helped to bridge that gap from um, legacy service, if we will, um, into a new digital era. And I think those, some of those brands are in a much easier position to pivot uh, into this new era of off-premise ordering, touchless payments and the like, which we can get into as we as we get further here. Um, and then the other silo being um, brands that either that hadn't invested in, the, in those types of technology for one reason or another previously. Um, and so I think that, you know, we've as we're looking at uh, how quickly one uh, brand can adopt um, new technologies to help in this, you're certainly got a leg up if you've already adopted something along the digital platform. But that's not to say that uh, some of the some of these fringe technologies um, are are not accessible. Things like touchless payments uh, and online ordering are you know a couple of weeks of deployments uh, in many cases, depending on on how your restaurant is set up. Yeah, I think you you touched on a really interesting dichotomy um, between people who have already invested into those types of platforms that can make it easy, and people who have you know found themselves um, you know kind of behind the eight ball a little bit once this crisis hit. 
So Chris, I guess I'll tee you up to 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 ask the first question that, that came to my mind as a follow-up to Brian was for those in bucket two who feel, oh no, I we we're not prepared for this from a technology perspective, what advice would you have for people who find themselves in that position? Because it's it's gotta be a really uncomfortable and, and not a, not exciting position to be in. Well, for those people in in bucket two, I would encourage them to realize that that bucket one wasn't totally prepared for the the pandemic either. Right. And, right. um, you know, our initial first hours of this whole thing going down, we were scrambling to get menus online and restaurants online and, you know, take advantage of the work that had been done for those years prior that really hasn't, hasn't been a factor. You know, before we started all this, the, the, the reality was that for off-premise ordering, there was a fraction of a percentage of many of, uh, of folks, you know, digital average, right? If you will, of, the, of their of their check percentage, and so for us, we had a lot of work to do just to get the basics up and going and and working flawlessly for all those customers. So I would say, be careful not to to compare yourself to your neighbor there, because there's there's definitely been a lot of work done, um, even in the days and weeks and months here after the the uh, onset of this pandemic. Um, to that end, though. There's certainly plenty of things you can do. Um, the most simple uh, uh, starting point, obviously, is the ability to take orders by way of these delivery partners and just put an iPad or a tablet or whatever in the store and hand key those orders in and get them done. I mean, keeping a job, keeping those revenue dollars flowing in, it's of utmost importance at this moment. And if you make the alternative decision just to shut down operations, you're really losing out because consumers are looking for that experience. They're looking not to cook. Um, by this point, look, we're all tired of it. We, we're done with it. We're done with cooking. We want to um, get food at home and be reminded that there might be some form of life out there that's normal. And so to the, to the folks in that second camp who really didn't have this stuff going in, um, I say do whatever you can the simplest way possible there's a reason why technology exists. And yet um, the reality is the sneaker net uh, approach is, is just as good as an integrated order injected into your kitchen. We've, we've got to realize that every dollar and every transaction truly is precious. Yeah, I agree. So then, you know, going towards people in that first bucket who have had these, you know, systems set up, like you said, I mean, everyone, I think, you know, really was scrambling to try to prepare for this because there's, you know, operational concerns to to think about. Um, what advice do you have for people who might be a little bit more advanced in, in the, the technology space, in the, in the quick serve, enterprise, um, fast casual, maybe even some table service? who are, they're a little bit more advanced. What would you say that they should be looking at as the next thing they tackle in order to keep their business going? Look, we think about this recovery, just like um, if you look at the governments, the way that they think about it, phases or color codes or, or, or whatever your local government is thinking about the world. And in North Carolina, for example, here we have phase one, two, three, right? And, and who knows what phase four is, or even phase three for that matter. Um, phase two seems to have brought out uh, the reality of being able to have a certain percentage of your restaurant filled with some form of capacity. And so I think that it's critical that you don't realize, like you don't take a step back and stop at the reality that is of where we're currently at. You know, the, the, the target is moving. 
And that's yeah. a that's a real meaningful thing. The target is moving. And so what's going to happen in the next phase? How are you going to address that reality? How are you going to make sure that your operations, your business, your consumer engagement model is ready to handle where people are going to be when they're ready to be there? Um, some people are going to be ready to go to the restaurant. Some people are going to be ready to be inside. Some people are not. Some people are going to want to do their uh, ordering outside. They're going to want to eat at a picnic table. They're going to want to you know, go to the park and, and meet up with their friends and have the food delivered there. Who knows, right? But you really need to think about this in a, in sort of a shades of gray approach. It, you know, normal is not going to come back all at once. And that's what we're learning. And I'd, I'd say even further, you know, what a new normal will become is not what the normal was before. Um, you know, we, Nobody has a crystal ball to know that if we fast forward three years from today, what will the landscape look like? You know, like Chris just uh, uh, mentioned, historically, off-premise ordering made up a fraction, right? Single-digit percentages usually of, of the overall volume of a location. Now that's obviously uh, in current climate uh, under quarantine, that's flipped upside down and it's, the, it's inverse to that. Where will that end up uh, in the, you know, three years from now? Hard to say, but a lot of polls are now showing that people who are using online technologies and online ordering want to continue to do so after quarantine ends. And mm -hmm. so I think that this is um, this has permanently changed the face of the consumer um, and the and the way we interact and do business with each other. And I think knowing that, you know, uh, even if you started on the on the road to, uh, you know, uh, the digital paradigm, if you will, um, uh, anything you can do to make that more seamless and more user friendly and remove friction from that will help not only now during the during the, the time of crisis, um, but it will it will adhere your your user base and your guests to you and your brand, you know, for long term gain, uh, because this 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 above store ordering is not going to be going away. Uh, quite the opposite. It is it is here to stay now. Uh, and so everything that, that, that we do uh, in the interim to help that uh, is going to lead to long term gain, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, look, look, from my perspective, I'm never going back to a grocery store ever again. <laughs> like I, the, the fact that I learned about how to uh, how to take advantage of Instacart and all these things is just I, it's changed my life. I'm done with it. I'm like I'm, I'm ready to just get my food delivered to me. And, um, and the idea of wandering the aisles and looking at stuff just seems so foreign to me at this point that I don't think I can go back. I'm, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I'm the same way. I, was, I will admit that my wife and I are early adopters, and we have been using on, uh, online delivery services for, through restaurants for a long time now. And, yeah, I agree. Now, do you think that, you know, your, your guys' opinions on that, do you think that's, you know, more born out of convenience or born out of safety or, I guess, both? My answer would be both. Yeah, I would yeah. say both, right? But for me, the the reality is that um, I started ordering. I mean, I'm I'm sort of cheap by nature. I started ordering <laughs> from you know these services for uh, for grocery delivery out of pure convenience, or, or sorry, pure safety. Um, yeah, not convenience, but pure safety, right? I didn't want to have to expose anyone in my household to to the virus, and and I felt like you know I'm fortunate enough not to have to make that choice, and so I didn't. And now that I've gotten used to it, I got to say it's pretty it's pretty convenient um, mm -hmm. having stuff 
delivered to you. I mean, the only thing that bothers me now about it is that I've got to make the decision to to reorder. Like, it seems just like it should be able to figure that out for me, right? I mean, I, at this point, it's got enough history. Like, come on. Like, let's get on with it. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is you started at a place where you know, you f- you realize it helped make you feel a little bit more safe. And I think you'll find that the predominant amount of Americans, you know, you see a lot of polls, you know, of people looking at the restaurant industry asking the question of, you know, um, you know, what would what is dr- like stopping you from going back into a restaurant and the biggest answer is is safety. And so yeah. there is a bit of a almost a a trust that restaurants need to build back with, you know, their customers in order to, to come back in. What would, what would you say would be some advice around that, that safety aspect from a technology perspective uh, that you think that enterprise brands, no matter what their, their model, quick service, fast, casual table service, what are some tips you can uh, give to brand leaders that want to use technology to help their uh, customers feel safe? Brian, we'll start with you. I'm not sure about tips, you know, uh, necessarily. But if we're talking about, you know, what technologies um, are some of those are on the forefront there, you know, there's the one of the bigger um, touch points, for lack of a better term, uh, of actual touching uh, is uh, is payments. Right. So I've got a card in my wallet. Um, I've touched it. A lot of other people have touched it. Sometimes I have to hand that over to somebody else. Um, I slide that through uh, or dip it into a, a device that has touched hundreds or thousands of other cards that day. Um, <laughs> and then putting it back, touching that to my fingers, putting it back to my wallet, touching my face. There's so a much lot touching of, that's happening right now. There's a lot of surface area there, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I think that both people and and retailers um, are have realized that. I think in most of our conversations that we've had um, with large brands, touchless payments has been on the tip of everyone's tongue, right? And so I think that that's a, an easy win depending on your payment processor, but usually that's a that's a pretty quick path to victory. Um, and it takes a large surface area of physical physical touching out of the uh, out of the equation on that. So I think that's the that would be my leading the the leader um, in in some of these conversations about how we how we move forward with this. That's one of the one of the first technology stacks I think that that we that is on most of these conversations. Yeah, I think the way we think about risk has totally changed. That's that's a reality I think for all of us. And you know, you, you go someplace and and. You know, just I went into a store this this weekend. I mean, it wasn't a grocery store as we as we've established here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I went into a store this weekend and and I thought a lot about what I was touching and the 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 environment I was in the the way that the air was circulating in that building. How many people walked in? Who had a mask? Who didn't have a mask? Um, and so, you know, to the extent that I can limit the number of possibilities that I might have to touch an infected surface, if you will, uh, that, that was really on the top of my mind. And I can imagine it's on the top of the minds of lots of folks out there who are, who are trying to just live their everyday life. And, and again, I mean, you go back to the question of, you know, what can brands do to make us feel safer? And, and the reality is, you know, an easy one is just simply to avoid the need to touch anything. Um, and yeah. so touchless, contactless, yeah. um, anything like that is, is a really big, important part of the experience of purchasing anything. And so if you got to, you know, in my experience this weekend, I, 
I use Apple Pay because I was trying to avoid, you know, touching anything. And then um, I, I didn't realize I had hit my debit card and it asked me for my pin. And that was just, you know, horrific, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, you know, and, and, and to that end, I bought a keychain that's like uh, copper because copper kills. Oh, you kills got one germs. of those things. Those things are cool. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that was, I mean, that at least saved me for myself in some way. Um, but, but I think that's true. And, and again, if we go back to this phases concept, well, what's next, right? If we agree that the world's a little safer than it was yesterday and we can do more things, it's not, you know, it's not totally safe, but it's safer than yesterday. Then what are those more things and how do we limit the risk and, and, and potential reality of touching things in that environment? Um, I think, I think it's important to, to consider, what is what does phase three look like? What does phase four look yeah. like? And, you know, the, the trust that can be built has to be in the transparency of the actions and what you're doing to keep people safe. And so, you know, you look at the airline industry and they're talking about how they're cleaning surfaces and keeping people in masks and so forth and taking temperature checks before you get on the plane. I mean, that's one thing we can do for sure. And, and surely uh, uh, testing will be a key part of that equation. Um, I think in restaurants, it's important that we identify to consumers, you know, throughout their engagement of the digital experience that we've, we've given them, that their safety is in, in our minds. It's top of mind. And, and to the extent that we're tracking their experience, um, one of the things we had talked about, for example, is the ability to say, hey, the, the number of tables I can use in the, in the restaurant is much lower. So let's, let's handle this sort of in a reservation management, right, uh, perspective. And you get to that experience by registering. You jump on that table. You say, hey, I've got this table and or I've got this, you know, I've got the desire to go inside because, I, you know, I don't like listen, I don't, I don't like getting dirt in my car or, you know, I've got three kids and I want to, you know, I want to have an experience in the restaurant because I want some normalcy in my life. I go inside. I want to know that table's clean. Mm-hmm. And so almost like, uh, almost like your package being delivered to you, there's a checkbox that says, Hey, not only have I got your food, you know, started in the kitchen, but I've got someone out to your table and I'm sanitizing it. Here are the things I'm doing. There's sort of a checkbox that happens there. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've wiped the chairs, check. I've wiped the table, check. I mean, it seems kind of silly to have to mention that, but I think it goes a long way towards building consumer confidence. Yeah. And I think you touched on a really good word of transparency in that. And obviously that might be something that might be a little bit more familiar uh, in terms of those steps for a table service restaurant. Would you, do you imagine that being something that brands that haven't traditionally done any sort of table reservations should actually be looking into now, like a fast casual, even a QSR? Yeah, I think absolutely. Right. I mean, just like you try to maximize the throughput and availability of that drive through because it's a limited piece of your real estate that that keeps you, you know, uh, at a certain throughput level, your restaurant, the inside part of of your business that that used to be um, sort of taken for granted, all of a sudden has a limited capacity and, and it's got to be scheduled and it's got to be managed in a way that allows for maximum efficiency. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, dovetailing on that, one of the things that, you know, historically in, in both hospitality and, and retail, um, there's been a densification, if you will, a density uh, per square foot of trying to fit as much 
uh, inventory or people um, uh, within a certain capacity because real estate's expensive, right? Um, well, now people can't stand back to front to back in line. You've got to be distanced by a certain certain amount. You don't want people standing in a line to be standing next to somebody who's eating anymore, right? So some thought now has to be given to that physical platform again. And I think absolutely um, there are there there will be technology and there is technology to help um, manage that in the best capacity to, to for the highest throughput. Um, and part of that is probably going to end up with um, some sort of a checkout or reservation system where I can know mm-hmm. that I'm coming in and getting getting a clean environment that's safe. And, and I'll say one one further too, dovetailing on something Chris was just mentioning about um, knowing that the that the restaurant is safe. You know, one thing we're seeing in in you know China and some of the other Asian countries now are there's a, after you've been scanned by the government for COVID or you know whatever disease du jour, um, you actually get a QR code on your phone mm-hmm. uh, that you have to present to be able to go into certain events or to into uh, larger venues. Uh, and we may see something like that come into the United States or other municipalities that, um, you know, for folks that are that are listening in uh, may already be adopting. Uh, and so having technology to know to be able to me as a consumer know that the people who are have, are serving the food and are working in a restaurant um, have met with all of those compliance. And maybe those are all have all scanned in and checked. And so by the time I get in, uh, I know that everyone working there has passed their test and has checked through um, all of the different different municipal regions, that's, you know, there's a, there's a ton of that kind of um, thinking that's going to need to happen over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think that whole idea of contact tracing and, you know, or like, you know, tracking people's, you know, status is when it comes to a mm-hmm. virus. I mean, I think it can all, honestly, though, rub people the wrong way as well, get a little big brothery, which is going to be a hurdle that might need to be be tackled. And so maybe, you know, in, a, in America, the general public might not be adopting of that. But you bring up an interesting point in terms of at least, you know, me as a consumer, I know that the employees working at this restaurant all are, you know, screened and, you know, I, I are safe for me to yep. to interact with. And there could be something there. Do you think that there's something with back office systems or any any uh, technologies you guys are thinking about in terms of making that piece of, you know, the employee safety as well as communicating that employee safety to guests for their safety? You know, is there anything that intrigues you there that we should think about? Well, I think it's more than intriguing. I mean, you look at Louisiana, the legislation that seems to be going forward in Louisiana is this contact tracing stuff and um, the ability to to give the authorities um, who was in contact with who at any given time is predicated on being able to open the dining room. And that's a reality. That's This is the U.S. Mm-hmm. This is really happening, right? I mean, the, mm-hmm. the world has, in fact, really changed. Um, in a way that it's hard for us all to, to, I feel like, wrap our heads around from a privacy perspective, for one. But for two, when you think about it, there's really it's really critical that the technology plays a role, not only in those pre-health safety checks that the, the workers have to do before they get started, but also in the, um, in the consumer space. So if, if, you know, Andy, you got sick and uh, you happen to visit a Popeyes or something like that in a, in a in Louisiana. I only say Popeyes, Louisiana kitchen, right? Yeah. Um, that you might that you might have to you might have to to ha- uh, call everyone you were in contact with, and if you weren't able to track that, if you didn't know, then you wouldn't be able to get back to that point. But 
that cashier certainly has a right to know. That person in that restaurant who you might have interacted with was two tables over has a right to know that they were potentially exposed to to infection. Um, yeah. And and it's one of the ways in which uh, I think everybody moves forward from this. And and it's interesting that some states are really evaluating this as a as a future prospect for the way that business as usual will be done for a while. That's right. So I know someone mentioned earlier fringe technologies. Um, and I think, you know, it's easy to say, hey, you, brands should be making sure they're looking at having a, some sort of an online ordering uh, platform. They should be interacting with a third party delivery providers. So those are pretty low hanging fruit. But is there a fringe technology or a fringe solution that you know, previously three months ago, enterprise restaurant brands probably wouldn't even be really be seriously considering. But now in these times, is there one that you think is actually really interesting or attractive that might have seemed a little far out a couple months ago that you think would be worth uh, exploring? So for me, yeah, there's a couple, right? The The first is the ability to do uh, voice ordering with a drive-thru unattended. Um, that's, that's a fringe technology that's got some... Att- attention recently. Um, even just the idea of listening to the transaction as it's being dictated from the, uh, consumer to the drive-through cashier and just changing the sign and trying to upsell that, that person and get a little bit larger of a check average is something that might not have been really worth it previously. But when you're dealing with a situation where every transaction and every Mm -hmm. second counts, it's, it's really changed the game for us. Um, I think some of the others that are really out there that I've heard talked about uh, for, by big brands are are quite interesting. Um, you know, it's almost like the quick service industry has turned into the car hop business back over again. And so we've got this renaissance of the car hop business almost. And, you know, it's for it's for safety reasons, for sure. But you can imagine a world where we put a parking lot full of smaller digital screens that you're interacting with as you pull up to a parking space, you place an order and someone delivers that food to your car. Um, and so you can think about like, like uh, beacon technology and interacting with those beacons uh, directly from your car, from your phone, um, having an experience almost like you would uh, with, with some of those um, uh, TV kind of, you know, Apple TV games or whatever that you've got, you know, like you don't know, Jack, you can play with that game with your phone, but you're, you're having a family experience with the, with the screen in front of you. You can imagine a similar thing happening in a car hop experience, which is, it's sort of like a, a strange renaissance and a bring back to normal. And, <laughs> you know, it gets you, it gets you to something interesting. And I don't know whether it's going to take off or, or stay, stay around, you know, who knows how long we're in this situation, but it's certainly an opportunity that, you know, six months ago, if you had asked me if that was a thing or if it was going to happen, I would have said, no way, it's not going to happen. And today it's a, it's possible. It's really funny you mentioned that, Chris. I was watching a, a Netflix special actually last night on the history of fast food in America um, and talking through the automats, which I wasn't really familiar with, but it's basically food lockers and how that was a thing in the in the 50s um, and, a, you know, growing technology. And now we're circling all the way back to 2020 uh, and a lot of these conversations around some of the similar things, like you said, kind of that car hop experience 
food lockers where somebody's prepping it on the other side, putting it in cubby four. Then I go through my mobile app and say I'm in cubby four and grab my food. There's no physical touch points there. Um, and so, yeah, this, there's this resurgence of what's old is new again a little bit. And I, I feel that same sort of uh, that same sort of shift uh, as well. I'm not sure if we answered your question. No, bit, you uh, totally did. That is <laughs> that that's real. That's really good stuff. I think the food lockers thing is a is one I had for, forgotten about, and I think that, that that's a that's a really interesting idea. So, I'll I'll end this uh, with with one last question. You know, the three of us have had a lot of conversations about you know what the restaurant of the future has looked like, and we we've been consistently kind of planning for what that's going to be. But that obviously might have taken like a hard left turn uh, in these past couple months. And so I, I guess I'll leave you both with with one final question of as you look at the restaurant of the future or the drive through of the future or, you know, any of these futuristic restaurant things that people can be thinking about five, 10 years down the road or maybe even closer in. What is one thing you would ha- you would recommend brands focus on further as we come out of this uh, pandemic economy? Hmm, that's a great question. I, I think for me, um, that's the digital user experience. You know, I think we've we've been skirting around this uh, off and on throughout the past half hour here, and I think I think it was you, Andy, who brought up the, the creepy factor. Um, that mm-hmm. things can start getting creepy um, when a system or a um, person knows too much about me and my my shopping patterns, right, or my ordering pattern. Um, and that's been something that's been a barrier to entry for a lot of the this fringe technologies, as we've kind of been talking about. But I think that knowing that there's there's going to have to be some way for you to engage your guests. And have that not be with person to person contact, right? So if we remove, if we're removing touch points for a brand ambassador of a person to be talking to your guest to uh, bring your, the experience you want to that guest without that interaction, there needs to be a digital representation of that to bring your brand to that guest. Um, and so I think that really thinking through how is, how is the guest going to interact with my restaurant and what do I want that to look like to make that the same guest experience or whatever the new guest experience is for my new paradigm um, to life. Um, And I think that we will see guests adopt cleaner paths to victory and or things that bring me what I want, as opposed to me having to do all the work, you know, like Chris just mentioned the with, with online ordering, there was there was a uh, a desire to to for safety that initially brought him f- to that technology, but now it's a desire for convenience to keep using it. And I think that that's that that convenience factor and that frictionless uh, experience uh, is really what I think is going to separate. You know, the if if we go back to the the the, the initial statement of having two buckets um, of people who have adopted technology versus not, I think that that will really show. Three years from now, for people who have, for brands who have adopted new user experience technology and really flowed in that direction versus not. And I think that we're going to see guests um, and and users, um, if you will, in, in the new paradigm, really gravitate towards things that are that keep them safe and make it easy. Um, I think we'll see that more than ever. Yeah, I think for me, you're going to see this dichotomy um, that we see everywhere in society now, which is, it's pretty wild. Um, and, and I think you're going to see a dichotomy 
in in the way that people experience transactions going forward. I think you're going to find people that take a hard look at the way they did things before and say, this is more convenient and this is great. And I don't really ever want to go back. And I, you know, I, I, I can see that for the reality of, of retail and perhaps the reality of the grocery market, right? The grocery market has certainly changed forever. And, and for that matter, so is ours. Yeah. But I do think there's going to be this dichotomy in personality types, this dichotomy in, in behaviors. One is going to be more towards that digital experience. There are going to be people who've got that digital experience. You've done a great job presenting it to them. And that's become their new normal. And I think that's going to be a portion of your revenue now and forever. I think, though, that there's going to be other people who rebel against that. And I, I hope that I'm among them. I don't know. Um, who say, going to have someone else prepare my food is a social experience, not only from the, the purchase point of ordering, but from the perspective of, of breaking bread with somebody and sharing time and a meal with a person. And I, you know, I, I got to believe that's not dead. I got to believe that's a, that's a thing for a long time. And mm-hmm. maybe it's not a thing for QSR for the medium or intermediate term, right? Maybe that's the, the value and what keeps QSR strong. And uh, again, by, you know, back to my reference about phases, maybe that ultimate phase has to consider the fact that there's going to be a rebellion against some of this when we get out of here that says, I want physical and human contact. I've been deprived of it for some time and, and the pendulum is swung in the opposite direction. And so maybe, you know, maybe it's not next year, maybe it's 2025 or 2030 or whatever. You've got to be able to meet people where they're at um, from their journey. And I think that, that, that's really the, the true nature of being in business. You need to be able to pivot just like those folks who, who called us up in the early days and the hours after states and municipalities started closing and said, we've got to change our lives. We've got to change our restaurants. We've got to change our operating model. How can you help us? Right. And we jumped into action and we worked 24 hours a day for weeks on end uh, to get, to get those transactions back in line and get, get people back to work and make sure that we could, keep those jobs and, and, and help pivot. Maybe it won't be as fast, this transition away from this, uh, and, and probably won't be. Um, but I do believe that history is full of examples where, uh, the pendulum swings in both directions. And if you consider the lessons learned from the, from the Spanish flu in the 1918, uh, timeframe, and you look at the 1920s and you really examine what those behaviors, those societal behaviors were that were different in those times. Um, it, what a fantastic dichotomy in, in society and in reality. So I think it's really important that you keep your eyes open. Opportunity thrives in chaos, and we have never been in a more chaotic time in our lifetimes. Yeah, and I think that's, that's for sure. absolutely critical for us uh, to keep in mind because we can create opportunity wherever we are, wherever we are. Right. And what I think is you're watching companies, uh, people, uh, organizations who expose themselves in two different ways. One way is to react and to try and deal with this consequence of this new reality. And another one is to try and 
evaluate it and understand it and create opportunity in that space. And I think the people who are part of the opportunity creators, if you will, will be around and flourishing for many years to come. So mm-hmm. I would encourage people not to forget their roots. They didn't create a company by, by being who they were. They created a company by finding an opportunity for something new. And uh, many of us in larger companies realize that inertia carries the day in many cases, but, but that's not today. Um, today, it is focus and opportunity and, and evaluation of the changing world around us and creating opportunities for all of us to, to succeed and, and keep this economy moving. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. That, that was great. Uh, and hopefully this is encouraging uh, for, for those listening. So yeah, Chris and Brian, thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Table Stakes Podcast. Join us next time for a dash of innovation, a pinch of technology, a tablespoon of business strategy, and a generous measure of good humor. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like to suggest a topic or guest for an upcoming episode, we want to hear from you. You can reach us at tablestakes at zenial.com. Table Stakes is produced by Michael Kowalski. Our audio engineer is Joseph Hawk, and I'm your host, Andy Grindstaff.